Have you ever had your anxiety interfere with your life? Well, I'm Clay Smith, the lead pastor of Alistair Baptist Church in Sumter, South Carolina, and that's what we're going to talk about today. That was wonderful. It's great to see everybody here this morning. Uh, we're concluding this message series we've entitled, uh, I Need to Know. It's all about answers to questions uh, that nobody ever gave you the answers to in school or really anywhere else in life. And today we're going to talk about uh, feeling anxious. And, and I know this is an issue because I just saw a preschool mom uh, at the preschool desk talking very excitedly about something going on in her life. And I just kind of reached over and I patted her and I said, hey, the message today is for you because it's about anxiety. And she said, well, I freaking need it. <laughs> and, and I think I've actually determined part of why maybe our congregation has a lot of anxiety because I just talked to one of the first impression team people and they were telling me, that already they have had 5,000 steps on the smartwatch refilling the coffee pots here at Alice Drive. And it dawned on me, this is why we're an anxious congregation. We're giving you too much coffee. <laughs> so let's just do a real quick test. How many of you sometime in this last week have had a moment where you felt anxious about something? Okay, so that's everybody. You know, we, we all feel this. We all deal with this. So what is anxiety? Anxiety is when your soul fears an outcome and you can't control it. When your soul fears the worst about an outcome that you can't control. So to really help set this up for us today, uh, Julie Shortman is going to come up and help. Uh, Julie is fairly new to our church. Would you welcome Julie? She comes up on the stage. Hi, Julie. Hello. Okay, it's great to see you, but you might need a microphone. Yeah. I can talk loud. Yes, but you'll make the sound man very anxious. That's right. Okay. So, Julie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, I'm a military spouse. We've been here for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. um, I am a mom of four kids and an ER nurse, which is like pretty much the same thing. And um, I've been married to my husband for seven years. Um, yeah, I have a military brat turned military spouse, so I'm kind of a nomad. I've named the state. I've probably lived there. Okay, so, so let me get this straight. You have four kids, and their ages are? So I have a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and twins that are two. Pray for me. <laughs> and you're an ER nurse. Yes, sir. And what medications are you on? No, I'm just kidding. Right. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. I'm, well, I'm going to have to teach Pastor Clay about HIPAA later. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what makes you anxious? Um, for me, the day-to-day -day of life can make me anxious. Um, I think moms, you can relate to that ever-growing to-do list. You mark one thing off and add three more things. Um, and then the, the voice in your head that, you know, I'm getting my kids involved, but are they too involved? You know, am I over getting them involved? Um, I'm spending time with my kids, but now the house is dirty. Like, do I take care of my home? Am I a good, like, mom? And, you know, there's laundry. Like, all the things of the day can make me anxious. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot in there. There is. Yeah. yeah. So have you ever feared the worst might happen and it does? 
Um, yeah, so when Eric and I first got married, we had this, like, beautiful dream of, you know, we're going to be married just to each other for five years. No children. We're going to travel the world. Um, oh, but you said you have a five-year-old. I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're seeing where this is going, Pastor Clay. Mm-hmm. Um, God did have a different plan. So I, I'm, like, immediately got pregnant and was just so excited. I told everyone that I came in contact with. Um, from the grocery clerk, you know, all my family knew we were so excited and I lost that baby. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And so how did you handle that? Um, it was a struggle and I lost the next baby as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so every day I was worried I wasn't going to get to be a mom. Oh yeah. And that's a lot of anxiety. It is. Mm-hmm. The day-to-day waking up of, I want to be pregnant. And trust me, I had no problem getting pregnant. I just had a problem keeping, you know, the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how ultimately did you f- deal with all of that worry and that anxiety? Um, I leaned on my family. They were my rock and my husband. Mm-hmm. He would say, we're going to have a basketball team. Don't worry. <laughs> 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 so that was... I needed to hear that because I did. I wanted a house filled with chaos and, you know, the joy that kids bring, taking them to the zoo for the first time. You know, they get so excited about giraffes. You forget how exciting it is to be a kid, and I wanted that so bad. So I leaned on my family. I leaned on my mom, and I I prayed like, I mean, when you go through something like that, you, you don't even realize how deeply you can pray. Yeah. yeah. So what were those prayers like? Um that I knew that he had a plan for me. I didn't know what that plan would be, um, that I knew I wanted to have children for myself, and I trusted him, and there would be times I'd be angry. I'd uh, see people at work um, who didn't want their children or were mistreating their children, and I would say, but, I, but I, I'll take such good care of them. I'll love them so well. And I trusted him. Yeah. And so you kind of have moved away from that crisis moment. Now yes. you're one short of a basketball team. That's right. Yeah. I mean, unless you count me, I can be in. He's okay. the coach. You can, you can, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm a good center, I think. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's probably getting into the area of too much information that <laughs> we really right. want to share with everybody. But too much. Uh, um, so how are you dealing now with anxiety, like on a daily basis, just the, the stuff of life? Yeah. So I feel like the things I do is I'm, I do make that to-do list. It helps me to cross things off. Um, I try to just put things in perspective. Um, so, you know, the fact that there are dishes in the sink isn't the end of the world. I'll tell Eric, the house is falling apart. And he's like, it's not, though. Like, we're going to be okay. Um, and I, I just try to put things in perspective. Exercise, not get that third shot in my coffee when I feel like I needed a little jazz, like my heart's already racing. Um, just, like, self-health and just perspective. Because the things that I do get anxious about aren't the end of the world. I'll be laying in bed telling my husband, you know, we haven't gotten your mom a birthday present yet. Getting your mother-in-law a birthday present can be like an, you know, anxious feeling. He's like, why are you thinking about that? It's 1030 at night. <laughs> um, but you know, we always get her something and she's always happy with it. So perspective. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. Julie, thank you so You're much welcome. for Sorry coming for and sharing. Crying. I cried to Pastor Clay. No, Poor that's thing. good. Thank you. <laughs> thank Would you show your appreciation for Julie? Thank, thank you very much. So Julie has really helped us remember that, that anxiety and worry comes in different forms, in different ways. Sometimes there's the big life crisis, 
and that makes us anxious about the outcome. And sometimes it's just the day-to-day, the routine. Most of us find a way to make anxiety work for us. Uh, How many of you have ever crunched a deadline, you know, or put off doing your homework or a paper in school until the very last minute the night before? Yeah, because you're making anxiety work for you. Some of you do that at work. Um, I do that because I have to preach every seven days. You know, that gives me a little anxiety. I got to get something done. But anxiety can get to what I call a hurricane. It starts to suck everything in. And sometimes you feel like it's dominating your life. There's this one issue and it just is overwhelming you. And there's also anxiety that is clinical in nature where there's a chemical imbalance in you and, and something needs to be done to help restore the balance of your body's chemistry. And it ex- it's in the extreme, anxiety is a panic attack where your heart is racing. Some of you have had this and you're, and you're, you're having trouble catching your breath. And you can really feel totally out of control. Now, the sad thing is often is church is not a help about this. We can perpetuate the idea that if you just have enough faith, you'll never be anxious. Or if you just have enough faith, you know, your worries will go away. And I don't know that that's really true. Because there are people who have good faith and they believe in God, they trust in God. And yet, anxiety still is part of their life. So here's the big idea for the day that we're going to talk about, that we're going to try to unpack, and that is God's best for you is not anxiety. Anxiety is not God's best for you. Jesus actually addresses anxiety in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, there's a lengthy section about worry, which is the same thing as anxiety. Worry and anxiety uh, both come from this idea in the Bible of being stirred up of nothing being settled. And and if you've ever dealt with anxiety, you know that's part of what it means to be anxious. So if you have a Bible, turn to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in the first part of verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, beginning the first part of verse 25. Therefore I tell you, (coughs) do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Now, this is one of the most astounding things that Jesus ever said. Don't worry. Don't worry about what you eat or drink or what you wear. And he was talking to people for whom this was a big deal. They did not know where their next meal was coming from. Their clothing was important to them because often clothing was the most valuable thing that people owned in those days. It represented a large investment of time and material. So clothing's a big deal. And Jesus is saying, don't be stirred up about this. Now, have you ever noticed that telling someone not to be worried is ineffective? Yeah, so just turn to the person next to you real quick and say, stop worrying. (laughs) There's a couple of people who are refusing to look at the person next to them. You know, it's like, (laughs) I'm going to worry if I want to. And and, and actually, we all know that this doesn't really work. Is Jesus setting us up? Is he giving us a command we can never hope to follow? No. No, God doesn't play that way. I think what Jesus is doing is he's giving us a command here so that we know what direction to point our life in. So that we are not dominated by worry, we're not dominated by anxiety, so that it does not control our lives. Now, Jesus is going to go on and unpack how to do this in the remainder of this chapter. And he's going to teach us six things. 
Now, I know as soon as I say Jesus is going to teach us six things, many of you are running ahead and you're saying this is going to be a six-point sermon. And you now are anxious about how long this sermon is going to be. All I can say is that other cup of coffee is really going to tell on you in about 30 minutes. No, 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 I shouldn't have said that. Okay. So Jesus goes on. First thing he wants to teach us is the next part of verse 25. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now that seems so obvious and yet we can miss it. What's Jesus saying? You're more than what you eat, more than what you wear, more than what you drink. Your worries and your anxieties are not your life. Your worries and your anxieties are not your life. I love what Julie just told us, that we need to have perspective. We need to remember that our life is more than whatever is the anxiety of the moment. Frederick Buechner said this, we torture ourselves with detailed visions of the worst that can possibly happen. And it becomes like a cancer. It grows, it gains force, and pretty soon we are worried about our worries. So Jesus is saying, I want you to change how you think. Remember, the th- your thinking is part of your soul. It's in your mind. And yes, you can change how you think. How do you change your mind when you are consumed with anxiety? There's an old hymn, many of you may not know it, goes like this. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So this is a very intentional exercise to change the direction of your thinking. Uh, Our our minds go all kinds of places. Uh, Here's something that is helpful to me. It's the alphabet game. So when I need to count my blessings, when anxiety is consuming me, and I remember to do this, I start with A, what can I be thankful for? What blessing have I been given that starts with a letter A? And when I was thinking about this week, I thought about aroma. God could have made the world all smell like garbage, right? But I had just been to Baker Sweets and I thought about aroma. <laughs> and, and I began to think, you know, isn't it great that God made fresh baked bread smell so good? Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and then have you ever been walking in the neighborhood? Somebody's grilling a steak aren't you glad God made that smell? Yeah, that's a blessing. See, now let me tell you what just happened. All of you stopped worrying for just a second, didn't you? And then I think about the letter B. I'm grateful for books. I love books. I love to read. Letter C, I'm grateful for my computer, really. It makes a lot of my work a lot easier. I think about the letter D. I'm thankful for my daughters, my daughter-in-law. Uh, These are fantastic women that God's put in my life. Amazing people. And I won't bore you with all the rest of my alphabet, but here's what I challenge you to do. Do the alphabet game. Name your blessings. Now, I know when you get to the letter X, you're going to have to be thankful for xylophones or x-rays because that's really the only choice you've got, right? (laughs) Okay. So change our thinking. You're more than your anxiety. Now Jesus is going to go and challenge us with another thought that we need to change. In verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
are you not much more valuable than they? Than they? Jesus says, pay attention to the lessons of the natural world. Look at the birds. They're not farmers. And yet God provides food for them. Seeds, plant material, bugs. You ever wonder why God made bugs? So birds would have something to eat. And you begin to realize that if God takes care of those sparrows, don't you think God values you? In Greek, this phrase literally is, are you not as much as they are? Last night, a flock of starlings went over our house. Have you seen those? Like the big ribbons of birds. It goes on for miles. And it just hit me that God knows every one of those birds. And so God also knows me. It's a reminder that I am valued. This is what Jesus wants us to understand. He, He wants us to change our thinking and remember we're valued. Now, what gets in the way of us feeling valued? Shame. We feel shame about our past, about our education, about our background. We feel shame about our performance. We feel shame about our bodies. How many of you are perfectly content with the body you have? Yeah, this is amazing. In every service, no one has raised their hand. Nobody, not even the kids. And they raise their hand for anything. (laughs) Brene Brown says this, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging. Now, Jesus' followers actually do believe we're flawed, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we believe there is good news, that our heavenly Father still values us even though we are flawed. Uh, Romans 5.8 says this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You are of such worth to your heavenly Father that he says you're worth the life of his son. Jesus died so that the breach between you and God could be healed, so that you could become a child of God, so that all of the hurt and the shame that dominates your life could find peace in his love. How much time do you spend being in the presence of God, knowing that you're valued? Is there any part of your day where you just say, God, right now I just need to remember that you, you value me, that you love me? Did anybody see the movie The Help? I, I, I really like that movie. One of the, the pieces I really like is when the, the character played by Viola Davis takes that little girl and, and holds the little girl on her lap and says, you is kind. You is smart. You is important. Do y'all remember that part? I just get this picture of our Heavenly Father taking us all up like little children and putting us on his lap and saying, you're loved. You matter. You're valued. Do not let shame block 
the voice of your heavenly father telling you how much he loves and values you. Do not let people who would impose shame on you cancel out God's voice. How much healthier a person would you be if you could just center yourself for a minute or two every day and just remember, my heavenly father loves me. My heavenly father says I am important. My heavenly father says I am valued. So Jesus asks us to change our thinking. Remember, your life is more than your worries and your anxieties. Remember your value. Those are thoughts. Now he's going to ask us to do something more challenging. He's going to ask us to change how we feel. Now, I know some of you feel like you do not have the power to change your feelings. But I want to ask you to change the feeling that you have that you're powerless. Because we can change our feelings just as we can change our thoughts. Listen to what Jesus says in the next verse, verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Literally in Greek, it says, can any of you add a cubit to your life? A cubit is a measurement. In other words, by worrying, can any of you make yourself taller? No. In fact, we know this. It doesn't work for width either, does it? Just by worrying about your size, does that change it? No. You see, worry is the illusion that you're accomplishing something while you're accomplishing nothing. It's the illusion that you're doing something while you're accomplishing nothing. Because worry does take emotional energy. You feel that energy burn. And so you get feeling, I am doing something because I'm turning this over and over in my soul, but nothing is happening. Worry is wasted emotional energy unless you do something. So what can you do? How do you change that feeling? I had a lady come talk to me and she said, my daughter-in-law is driving me crazy. I said, well, why is she driving you crazy? And she said, well, I, I just... She's just difficult to get along with, and, and I, just, I, I just don't really, uh, I just don't approve of the way she's parenting my grandkids, and, and I don't think she's very, very good for my son. I said, so what are you doing about that? Well, I just worry about it all the time. Is that changing your daughter-in-law? No. Have you talked to your daughter-in-law? Yes, I've sat down and I've told her what she needs to do different. How's that going for you? I said, have you prayed for her? She said, yes, I pray all the time. I pray that God would knock some sense into her. I said, okay, well, let's dial this back a little bit. How about pray that God would help you understand her? How about pray that maybe, maybe what needs to change is not her, but you. After all, the Bible does say love your enemies. How about praying that you'll be able to love her? And and, and she said, well, she's not my enemy. I said, but the way you talk about her, she's at least in the arena. See, see, I think worry is your cue to pray. Whenever you begin to feel this anxiety, it's a cue that you should start praying. Now, I wish I could tell you that I do this all the time. I don't. Here's what I do know. When I remember to do this, things change. My perspective changes, just like Julie said. So um, imagine that you go to the doctor and the doctor is examining you and then the doctor does that, that awful expression of, hmm. 
Don't you hate it when the doctor does that? This is, we need to run some tests, okay? When will you get the results? Like right away, this afternoon? Doctor says, we won't have the results for two weeks. Right? And then what do you do? <laughs> you worry. You have some anxiety. Well, what would happen if when you started that worry cycle, you began to say, Father, I don't know what these test results are, but you do. Would you, Father, just give me the strength to face the results? And, and Father, I'm going to pray for favorable results and, and, and maybe even invite some other friends to pray with you. This is why you need a community of believers. This is why church needs to be a place of grace, why being in a life group matters, so that you have some people around you who can give you grace and strength when yours is not quite enough. Now, maybe even when you begin to pray about your anxieties, God will tell you to do something. Love that person. Maybe God will actually encourage you to give that situation to him. Let him be in charge of it. Maybe God will tell you there's some behavior that needs to change. Maybe God will actually tell you, hey, you're dealing with something that is an imbalance in your life, a chemical imbalance. Go and get some medicine. I have had people say to me, well, the doctor has given me a prescription, but I don't like to take it because I feel like if I have enough faith, I won't need the medicine. All right, let's just change that. If God has gifted a scientist with knowledge about how to correct something that's flawed in our body chemistry, and then that scientist develops a medicine, and that's available to you, could it be that the medicine is actually God's answer to your prayers? The um, well-known scholar, um, seminary professor, Lewis Smeads, once said that he took his daily dose of Prozac with a prayer that said, God, thank you for this daily grace. That's pretty good counsel. So don't let worry consume you. Let it be a cue to pray, to seek God's guidance, and then to do what God says. So change that feeling. Now, Jesus is going to go on. He's again going to challenge us to change a feeling. And this is the lengthiest section in verse 28. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the follow thought. I know some of you are worried I'm about to speak in tongues. No. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we wear or what shall we drink or what shall we eat? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Why is the big emphasis on clothes? Remember, the most valuable thing that most people owned. And Jesus is saying, look, Solomon, the king, he would have had the finest clothes, but even his great clothes do not match what God makes, what God provides. So do not worry about what you wear friend of mine said that he was going to have that inscribed on a plaque and put it in his wife's closet. <laughs> this is what Jesus is challenging us with. Remember that Jesus knows what you need. Your heavenly father 
knows what you need. We talked about this last week, and it really kind of dovetails about contentment, about having enough. And so when we begin to talk about our Heavenly Father knows what we need, we need to remember that this is rooted in the whole idea of contentment, of knowing when enough is enough. And we human beings, we're not real good at this. We're kind of like a horse my Uncle Bedford had. That horse learned how to break out of its stall, got into the feed room, lifted the bin, the lid of the bin where the feed was kept, and began to eat. And that horse ate itself to death. Now, before you really say, well, that was a stupid horse, how many of us, out of our anxiety, have behaviors, habits, use substances to try to heal that hurt of not having enough, of not being enough? See, faith is believing your heavenly Father knows what you need, and he knows when you need it. And he knows that your greatest need is peace with him through Jesus Christ. Now, we have to answer the question, well, what happens when we pray about our worries and God doesn't answer our prayers? Remember, not getting what you pray for is not the same as God not answering your prayers. So we have to first stop and say, wait a minute, is this something that I really need? And you may say, but I prayed for somebody to to be healed and I really needed them to be healed. I needed them in my life. We have to ask, what is God doing in that person's life or in that person's family? And we don't know all the answers. And I think the second thing we have to do is we have to remember, even when we don't have the answers, we can still have faith. You can still have faith. And that faith is essential so that you can attack the anxiety, the worry, so that you can wage war on the worry and the anxiety. So it does not control or dominate your life. I do know people who have faced incredible tragedy, loss after loss, and I wonder how they go on, and they tell me the same thing. I keep giving it to God. I keep giving it to God. I keep giving it to God. That is having faith. Can you change that feeling in your life? Replace your fear of lack with a feeling of faith and trust that whatever happens to me, I'm going to trust that my heavenly father knows what I need and he knows when I need it. Now, Jesus, having challenged our thoughts and our feelings, is going to ask us to make two decisions. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard this verse, but we often fail to remember this verse really is about how to deal with worry It is verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. The the kingdom of God is where his values, his way of doing life reigns. Some of you will remember this, that in the Middle Ages in Europe, there were hundreds of little kingdoms. Almost every little village had a castle and there would be an earl or a baron. Sometimes a duke would live in the castle. And he was in charge of everything in the surrounding area. Now, obviously, some little kingdoms were bigger than others. And what would often happen is the weak kingdoms, recognizing their position, would go to a more powerful king and say, 
we can't run our own kingdom. We, we, we're not doing a good job. We can't protect ourselves. We can't even provide for ourselves. Will you let us be part of your kingdom? And so these dukes and earls and barons would give their allegiance to someone and he would become the king. And this is exactly what Jesus asked you to do. Each one of you has a little kingdom. Your little kingdom is where you get to be in charge. Your little kingdom is where you get to make the decisions. You can run your little kingdom on the anxiety if you want to. But it'll make it a very nice place to live. And this is Jesus' invitation. Take your little kingdom and go to the king of kings and the Lord of lords and say, I'm not real good at this. I need help. I I want to be in your kingdom. I want you to determine what's right and wrong, not me. I want you to decide which direction my life should go. I want you to forgive my sins. I want you to be in charge. You see, see, following Jesus is not just about going to heaven. This is about him being in charge now. Jesus is really inviting us to make the decision to make the big surrender. Make the big surrender. The big surrender, is, it starts when you establish your, your relationship with Jesus where you say, I know I need Jesus. I want him to forgive my sins. I want to follow him. That's the beginning. That's the first. But then there is a, a daily surrender. And the daily surrender is found in the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. So we're making decisions on earth that would be a reflection of the decisions God makes in heaven. Make the big surrender. And here's the last thing that Jesus asks us to do. You'll see it in the last verse of the chapter, verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. Now, you'll notice Jesus promises us something in this verse. (laughs) The promise is, you'll have trouble today and you will have trouble tomorrow. It's one of the reasons I trust the Bible. It does not give you an unrealistic picture of life. Jesus is real. He is saying, look, trouble today, trouble tomorrow. Just focus on today. Live in the moment. Be present in this moment. And we're not real good about this in our culture, in our society. And and there's some things happening in our culture that's making it worse. Uh, Smartphone technology means we're zoned out to our screens a lot more. Uh, We have all kinds of ways now of distracting ourselves. Uh, Real interesting, uh, there's something called now the dilemma of choice. We live in a culture where we have literally hundreds of choices. Have you ever put a search in Amazon uh, for a product and been astounded how much stuff comes up? You see, see, I mean, when our parents were growing up, basically, if you wanted bread, you went to the grocery store and there was one kind of bread. It was white and sliced, right? That's before they knew it would kill you. (laughs) Have you been to the bread aisle lately? Oh my gosh. Yeah, there's the the old standby, white and sliced, and then there's white and sliced uh, enriched, and then there's there's whole wheat, and then there's whole wheat with oats, and then there's 15 malting grain, and then there is wheat made without flour. Don't know how they do that. And, and then there's oatmeal bread. And, and it's just, it's just, and I get in front of all that bread and, and I think, 
what's the healthy choice? And here's my conclusion. None of it. Right? Yeah, I should just go outside and get the weeds and start eating them. Not weed, weeds. Okay. And so having more choices induces more anxiety. Yeah. And so that's why Jesus says, focus on today. Leave forever in God's hands. Just focus on today. Just focus on today. Everybody in a 12-step program has heard this. If you're in Celebrate Recovery, you've heard this. The reason most of us are not very good at fighting addictions, fighting habits, changing our behavior, is because we are worried about tomorrow. And so if I sit down and say, you know, starting today, I'm going to be a responsible adult. I'm going to start paying my bills. I'm going to get up on time. I'm going to go to bed early. I'm going to eat healthy. Starting today, I'm going to change everything now. Start saying just for today, just for today, just for today, I'm going to make a better choice. Just for today, I'm going to, I may not get up early tomorrow, but I'm going to get up early today, just for today. That's what Jesus tells us. Amazing how the, the, the 12 step movement actually <laughs> learned that from Jesus. I, I want to offer you this prayer. I, mean, I want to encourage you to pray it this week. It goes like this Father, just for today, I trust you and not my worries. Father, just for today, I will remember your love and forget my feelings of shame. Just for today, I will seek your kingdom and trust everything else will be taken care of. Now, let me tell you what I wish. I wish we could stop right here and then I could have a one-on-one conversation with everybody. And we could just talk. We could just talk through, you know, what you're anxious about. But here's my hunch. There's something in this message for you, and I don't know what it is. It may be that Jesus is asking you to change your thinking, to remember that your life is not about whatever crisis you're stirred up about right now. Your life is not just about your worries and anxieties. It may be that Jesus is saying, listen, I just want you to find some time today to be still and hear my Father's voice saying, you're valued, you're important, you're loved. It may be that Jesus is asking you to do the hard work of changing some feelings. So so whenever that anxiety starts to come over your life, you know that you need to to talk with someone or you need to to pray, you you need to offload it. Isn't it interesting how that you can just speak something out loud as an anxiety and it makes it smaller? Because when it lives in your head, it gets bigger. Maybe Jesus is asking you to change how you even process your feelings about what worry can do. You realize its limitations. Maybe you realize that, that you need to real, remember your heavenly father knows what you need and you need to decide to follow his way, seek his kingdom and live just in this moment. Because here's what I know. Anxiety is not God's best for you. Let's pray. Father, we are anxious people, and it's not just the caffeine. We can just get so lost in everything that we've got to do. We can be anxious about big things and small things, and we desperately need 
We desperately need you. Would you send every person here the message they need today? God, I know you want some people to remember that, that they're loved, they're valued. God, you're saying to some of the rest of us that, that we really need to have faith even in tough times. God, I know that when we seek you first, you'll take care of us. It may not all turn out the way we want, but when we seek you first, there's a peace we cannot find in any other way. And so, Father, this is our prayer today. For today, we'll seek you first. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, in just a moment, um, we're gonna receive an offering and then we're gonna stand and sing. And, and if you think about it, an offering is actually an extension of this message because it's saying, um, you know, I, I'm gonna trust if I do with my money what God tells me to do, God's got me. He's got me. But when we sing this song, it may be an opportunity for some of you just to slip out from your seat and meet me or one of the other pastors in the next step room. And maybe you just need to come in and just say, hey, I'm worried about something. You don't even have to tell us what it is. You can, but you don't have to. And just let us pray with you. Let that, that anxiety you're feeling be a cue toward prayer. Some of you may need to come and say, you know, I really want to follow Jesus because I don't think I'm doing so good in my kingdom. We'd love to have that conversation with you. So we're going to pray now, then we'll stand, we'll sing, and I'll meet you in the next step room. Thanks for joining us for this service from Alice Drive Baptist Church. Alice Drive is one church with two locations. We have a location at the corner of Wise Drive and Loring Mill Road in Sumter. That location has services at 8.30 on Sunday morning, which is a traditional service, two contemporary services, one at 9.45 and one at 11, and then a service on Monday night for people who can't make it on Sunday, and that service is at 7 o'clock. We also have a location called Pocala Church. It meets in Pocala Springs Elementary School on Bethel Church Road in Sumter. That location has two services at 9.45 and 11. I hope we will see you in person very soon. I'm Clay Smith, the lead pastor at Alice Drive Baptist Church in Sumter. Check us out at alicedrive.org. God bless you. Hope to see you soon.